So I mentioned Advent at the beginning of Mass. Uh, of course, we, we all know that it is leading up to Christmas. Um, and for us as Catholic Christians, it's, it's a new church year for us. So we, we know, of course, our civil calendar starts on January 1st and finishes on December 31st. For us as, as Catholic Christians, we have a, a year as well, a church year, a liturgical year. And it starts on the first Sunday of Advent and finishes on the last day of ordinary time. Uh, so today is the first day of our new year. And I think um, just reflecting on this, something that people do, of course, every year on January 1st is they do what? They, of course, review the year behind and they'll say, you know, 2023 was a really good year for me or it was, you know, really tough or I had really, I started really well and maybe I faded down the stretch or, you know, something like that. And then based on their review of, of the previous year, they'll try to recalibrate themselves for the year ahead. Uh, this is it's one of the really trendy things nowadays is like people get a, a word for the year. So like my, my word this year is perseverance or, you know, something like that. And so then they'll, they'll try to sort of build this vision around their entire year based on this one word or this one goal that they, they want to have, which is not, not necessarily a bad thing. It's good for us to have a vision, for, for us to have goals, that kind of thing. I think we could do the same thing for our spiritual lives. Um, in fact, I, th I think maybe it would make sense for us to be more intentional about doing this for our spiritual lives than anything else, because after all, our spiritual lives are the things that are going to, uh, it's the thing that is going to lead us into eternity um, one, one way or another. And so it's like, okay, well, how can I calibrate myself in my spiritual life? So what I want to propose to you is maybe just something of a reminder for us as Catholic Christians of like, what does it mean or what does it look like for us as Catholic Christians living in the world that we live in? What is, what is our, our goal for our year? So this isn't going to be super practical, but at the same time, it's, it's something that we teach actually is essential for us as far as like the overall vision for our lives and in our lives, not just today on the first Sunday of Advent, not just during the season of Advent, but for our lives, like until we die, basically like this, this is supposed to be the kind of the general vision of, of what we look like as a, as a base level. And, and that vision has two parts to it, which in some ways that, that in itself can be a little bit difficult because we live in a world that we just love extremes. And so we love to be able to focus on one thing and one thing only. Um, so to have two things is a little bit tricky, but um, we, we find actually in the scriptures that it's necessary. Um, so with that, I, th I think our, our opening prayer is really helpful for us. So our opening prayer, this is, you know, the part during mass when, you know, we, you know, we do the penitential act and then father says, let us pray. And, you know, everyone generally sort of tunes out because it's like, what am I supposed to do in silence? Right. So this, this sort of thing. So our opening prayer is a really good image for this. So it's, if it's helpful for you, uh, you can find the, this prayer on page 11 in your missalette. If it's helpful for you to look at it, to have something to look at as I talk about it, I'm just going to talk, you know, for a couple of minutes about it. But if it's, if it's more helpful just to listen, then you can certainly do that. Anyway, so this is what I prayed on behalf of everybody else. I said, grant your faithful, we pray, almighty God, the resolve to run forth to meet your Christ with righteous deeds at his coming so that gathered at his right hand, they may be worthy to possess the heavenly kingdom. So I think, I think this prayer, it, it gives a really good image of what the two parts of our lives are meant to be. And the first part is in just in this first line, grant your faithful, we pray, almighty God. That simple line shows to us something that is absolutely essential for our spiritual lives, which is that we need God to provide for us. We can't, we can't earn our way into heaven. We need him to give us his grace. 
And this is actually something that Isaiah, Isaiah sees in our first reading really well, where he's praying. He's like, okay, you, Lord, are our Father. You're our Redeemer. But then he turns to this question, this, this question we could say of like lamentation. Why do you let us wander, O Lord? Why is it that, that you let us turn away from your ways? Why is it that you allow our hearts to be hardened so that we get to the point where we have no more fear of you? He's asking this question, right? Because he's acknowledging or he's aware that without God's guidance, without his direction, without his, his interrupting our lives with his grace, we're stuck in sin. And this is, this is like the, the bad news that, that God creates us and he, he creates us with a plan in mind that God has a vision in mind for you, for me, for our lives. The problem is that sin ruins everything and that because of sin, we're stuck, separated from God for all of eternity, for that matter. And without his grace, there's no way for us to make up the gap that is left between us and him. And so Isaiah is seeing this. He's like, Look, Lord, why are you letting us be this way? Like, why, why, do you, why do you keep this gap here? Lord, you know you can fix the problem with your grace, with your forgiveness, with your direction. Like, why are you letting this happen? In fact, he goes on and, and talks about like, look, uh, there's no one around. I look around and there's no one who calls upon your name. Nobody rouses himself to cling to you. Nobody's doing it. Why? Because you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us up to our guilt, right? The Lord hides himself from us because of sin so that now we're stuck in this place. And, and the only solution is ultimately what our Psalm says, our Psalm response, Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face and we shall be saved. This is, this is such an essential thing that we need God's grace. We need him to just like, Lord, you gotta come and do it. You gotta, you gotta inspire me, you gotta motivate me, you gotta give me this gift of faith in you. I need that. And without it, I'm hopeless. That's like the first part of, of our lives. So, so the first thing maybe we could ask ourselves as we look forward to this next year, maybe as we look forward to the rest of our lives, is this question. Are you aware of that? That you have such a need for God's grace that you're hopeless without it? That you have such a need for God's gift of faith for you? And if you have faith in him, it's only because he's given it to you. And what this is meant to do for us, for you and for me, and I, 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 have to, I have to do this myself. There are so many times where I'm praying, I'm just like, Lord, you gotta convert my heart. I'm so slow toward conversion and without your grace, I am, I am just a poor priest. There's so many times when I'll pray, when I'm praying for people, whether it's for you or for other parishioners or for other people, where I just come before the Lord and I'm just like, Lord, I've tried, I've tried so hard to, to preach, to teach, to, to, to do it for people, but I can't do it. It's not within me to be able to do it. So you have to be the one to do it. So do it, right? So like, this is, this is part of our life. So a question, right, is, is do you have this habit, this daily habit in your life of coming before God and asking him for grace? Just saying, Lord, I can't do this without you. I need your gift of grace. I need your gift of faith. That's the first part. Now, the second part is found in the rest of the prayer. So grant your faithful, we pray, almighty God, the resolve to run forth to meet your Christ with righteous deeds at his coming, so that gathered at his right hand, they may be worthy to possess the, king, the heavenly kingdom. This is the thing, that we need God's grace but once he gives that grace, once he gives us that gift of faith, we must act. We must perform righteous deeds. Sometimes you'll meet Christians who say, no, I, like as long as I believe in God, it doesn't matter how I live my life. 
Once, as, as long as I believe in him, I, I, I'm saved by my faith and by my faith alone. It doesn't matter if I'm following his commandments. It doesn't matter if I'm, if I'm trying to spread his gospel or, or expand his kingdom. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how I live my life. As long as I have faith, then that's how I know that I'm saved. But, but in fact, that's not at all what the scriptures reveal to us. In fact, we can, we can look at the example of Jesus in the gospel where he says, look, it's just like this man who's, who's going on a journey, he's traveling abroad, but before he goes, he takes his servants and, and he places them in charge. And each of them has their own what? Their own work. That God gives us work to do as we wait for his return. So we can't actually let ourselves get off by saying, no, as long as I believe, then it doesn't matter how I live my life. In fact, the, the, the only place where this phrase, faith alone, is, is found in Scripture is actually when St. James tells us, he says, do you not know that one is not justified by faith alone? That's the only place it's found in Scripture. So to understand, like, I can't actually let myself have this mentality that says, as long as I believe, it doesn't matter how I live my life. No, in fact, it's like that I believe is a gift from God, and that has to, it must change the way that I live my life so that I begin to perform righteous deeds, so that I begin to carry out the work that Jesus has left for me, so that you begin to carry out the work that he has left for you. Like, this is, this is part of his plan for you. He has a plan for your life and for mine. Sin has ruined that plan, but his grace that he's brought about by the redemption of Jesus Christ, it restores you to that plan. It restores me to that plan. And that plan includes advancing the gospel, expanding his kingdom. If you remember the gospel from a couple of weeks ago, uh, when Matthew told us that, that this rich man, he left a whole bunch of talents with some of his servants. And while he was gone, his servants took those talents, they took those resources, and they multiplied them so that his kingdom could expand. This is an expectation that the Lord has of us, that he gives us gifts. And, and I don't know what gifts he's given to you. I can only guess at the gifts that he's given to me, but what I know is that he has given you gifts. And part of maybe your task is to pray and just say, Lord, what have you given to me? And how can I take that and go to work for you? How can I take that and begin to what? To do righteous, to perform righteous deeds which are going to certainly include being faithful to his commandments. Certainly they're going to include avoiding sin and, and repenting of sin when we commit sin and, and of course coming to mass, of course. But then to get beyond that and to say, okay, I want to love God and that's how I do that, but how too can I love my neighbor by using the gifts that God has given to me? So this is, this is the kind of twofold um, vision that every Catholic Christian is meant to have in his or her life, where a person is both aware that so much depends on God's grace. And without it, I, I got nothing. Without his gift of faith, I have nothing. But also, once he gives me that gift, then so much actually depends on me and on you. And this is, this is part of the mystery. Is like, how can, we, how can we say that everything depends on God, and at the same time, in a real way, everything depends on us and our response to what he's done? This is a mystery in a real way, but... But in some ways, in a very real way, it's still true. And St. Paul actually sees this. Like, this is, this is the incredible thing. So this is our, our, our second reading, where Paul says, I, I give thanks to my God always on your account, Corinthians, for the grace God bestowed on you, the grace that he gave to you in Christ Jesus, that in him you were enriched in every way. I give thanks that God made you spiritually rich in every way because of the grace that he gave to you. 
with all discourse and all knowledge, right? This is, this is the thing. How is it that his grace comes to us? His grace comes to us in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes his grace comes to us when we pray and he inspires us in our hearts and our minds. Sometimes his grace comes to us when we read the scriptures and, and we might not feel like it's inspirational, but we read scriptures and it's like the Lord has commanded, he's shown us what he wants us to do. He's shown us how to live our lives. And so we can, we can figure that out by reading the scriptures. He gives us his grace in the Holy Eucharist, in the Sacrament of Reconciliation, and whatever sacrament we've received, he gives us these graces. So he's enriched us in all discourse, in all knowledge, so that we know as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, so that what? You are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's given you this, and you are not lacking in any spiritual gifts. Maybe not every one of us has every possible spiritual gift, but as a community, as a church, we have all of the spiritual gifts. So that together, as we play our part that is to play, and as, as the, the person next to us plays his or her part that is to play, then together we can be united as one body in Christ. And then St. Paul finishes, he, he says, he will keep you firm to the end, irreproachable, or another translation says guiltless, on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's made it actually so that you can avoid sin and be free from sin, so that when the Lord comes to judge us, we can be set free from that sin. So this twofold vision is, I need God's grace, and once he gives it to me, I need to go to work for him, to perform righteous deeds, so that what? So that ultimately, when he comes, I can be worthy to possess the heavenly kingdom. I can be worthy of that. Which, of course, on the flip side, and you've heard me say this maybe too many times, but it's possible for us to be unworthy of the heavenly kingdom. Right? We say these prayers because we know that it's possible for us to fall short. We say these prayers because we read what Isaiah says when he says that we've wandered and our hearts have become hardened. We, we say these prayers because we hear what Jesus says when he says, may he not, find you, may he not come suddenly and find you asleep. If he finds us asleep, then what? It means that we've been found unworthy for the kingdom. And so to take this as our vision and to hold it as our vision, and if we happen to stray, as so many times do, I do this, you do this, if we happen to stray, then to rejoice actually that yet another grace the Lord provides for us is the sacrament of reconciliation, where this straying sheep can be brought back into the fold and until that straying sheep is brought back into the fold, then what? Then, well, that person is either unaware of his need for God's grace, or that person is, is not willing to go to work for the kingdom. And either way, that person is not found to be worthy of the kingdom. And so what a gift that the Lord makes a way for us, first, to be called, but then, two, to return when we need to return. That's the kind of life, that's the kind of God, of course, that I want but I also want to be ready for him. I want to please him in everything that I do. And so I want to live with this vision in mind.